This episode of UK Low Carb Podcast is sponsored by Deliciously Guilt Free. Enjoy the show. I am so delighted that I get to welcome back my good friend Pauline Cox back to UK Low Carb. And we now have a weekly series called The Pillars of Health. Each week, Pauline will dispel the misconception that if we eat well, then we're healthy. We'll explore together bad lifestyle habits, the stresses of life, poor sleep, lack of exercise, sedentary lifestyle, poor gut health, and poor liver function, and see how these can cause chronic illness and fatigue. The pillars of health are those key areas that we can take control over to live a happier and healthier life. And if you would like to engage in this conversations we go through each week than you made through our Facebook group, UK Low Carb. Now over to Pauline to tell us more. Hello, not from the uh, Delicious Guilt Free and UK Low Carb studio, but rather from my living room where I apologise for the lovely background you have behind me. Um, I just want to say, though, this is a very special uh, episode because this is the ultimate final episode of the series I've been making with Pauline Cox uh, about the pillars of health. Just before I introduce Pauline Cox for our uh, viewing pleasure this evening, just to go through some of the episodes we covered in the series. So if you haven't heard, it's on all podcast um, apps. It's on YouTube as well. The first one is episode one, uh, how the body fuels itself. You know, what fuels do we have for our bodies? We then go into episode two on gut health and the microbiome. We then went into episode three on the liver, and certainly I'm going to take care of my liver a lot more after that as well. We then went into episode four on sleep and how sleep's so important for health, then into breath work and finally movement. Now, if you notice that there's a, there is a link to nutrition in all of those, but actually these are the pillars of health around nutrition to make us healthier people. Before I do introduce Pauline, I want to say I learned so, so much from doing this show with her. It was a great privilege to be able to, to have this opportunity to spend time with Pauline and to ask these questions. And now it's also my great privilege to have this final episode where you get to ask your questions as well. So welcome to UK Low Carb, Pauline Cox. Hi, Dan. Great to be back. It's wonderful to have you back. Although I suppose like, you know, I'm in my living room, so I'm actually bringing more into my family home now. So uh, I'll give you the tour after the live if you wish. But um, <laughs> so ha- you've been keeping busy since we spoke because I know you're getting like lots of requests now to go onto other people's podcasts and you know it's really exciting it is yes life is busy um we balance so and arrow which is obviously a, a low carb store with content writing and uh a membership that i run so there's yeah we have a lot going on along with children and the usual <laughs> demands of life <laughs> and then from the outside you hear there might be a new variant of coronavirus christmas is around the corner i mean it's just the same old same old really isn't it really pauline so um yeah but i do actually think just in terms of the timing of this series it was kind of interesting listening back to it because this is what i do now i find that i'm listening to my own show from months ago and i kind of forget making it so it's got fresh insights and I think the fact we've been through the pandemic and the lockdowns and, you know, who hasn't found that str- struggle in some way, shape or form, either mentally or physically. And the fact you're looking at how these other pillars of health are so important to a really healthy lifestyle that maybe, you know, maybe we focus on nutrition only, but actually sleep, the liver, the gut health, all of this stuff is really important. 
And I thought what we could do is just go through some of that because maybe some people haven't haven't heard it all. Um, and then we're going to take questions from everyone at the end. So just for those who are watching now, if you have a question, hi, Sarah, by the way, I can see you've left a lovely message. If you've got any uh, questions you'd like to ask Pauline, please put them either on the Facebook groups. Uh, so just what's your Facebook group? Sorry, Pauline. Healthy Keto Diet and Lifestyle. So you can go into that group and join and see the video there. Or if you're members of the UK Low Carb, all the Delicious Guilt Free chat groups, it's live there at the moment as well. It's also on our pages, which match up to those groups. And also there's a YouTube link. So there's lots of places you can see us and leave comments. However, if you're on Facebook, please make sure you put your name in because I think that Facebook doesn't let us see the person's name unless you agree to it in some way. Okay. Right. So um, without much further ado, let's get into the, the series. So about the fuels, the gut health and the liver, they're the first three we did in, in sort of a batch, weren't they, at the yes. time? And I think they worked really well because, right, we all talk about carbs and we all talk about, you know, like fat and that and how it fuels our bodies. But actually what was interesting was taking that further into the gut health was really mm. interesting. And the links that has to your brain health. I mean, can you tell us a bit more about it? Yeah, and actually, Dan, this is so relevant at the moment with – um, we, you spoke about COVID and, um, you know, new, new um, mutations of COVID. And actually, the research is really interesting around COVID and gut health and how our gut becomes affected. Even a really healthy gut is affected when we have COVID because it affects, I don't know if you know too much about COVID, but when the virus enters the body, it enters via the, the ACE receptors. Right. The ACE receptors. And so these... Once the spike protein attaches to the ACE2 receptors, the ACE2 levels in the body start to decline. And ACE2 in the gut is very, very important for amino acid transportation. So we know we have these gut changes and changes in the microbiome. And the microbiome has a direct link, as you rightly pointed out, to our brain health. Now, when we have changes in the gut, these keystone bacteria can be missing, absent, and we can have other bacteria that sort of start to outcrowd the really good bacteria. So keystone bacteria are very important for creating certain bioactive compounds. They have an anti-inflammatory effect as opposed to other bacteria that might have a pro-inflammatory effect. They're very important for maintaining the integrity of the, um, the gut lining. So they produce mucus to protect that gut lining. And when we have this absence of key bacteria, particularly bacteria called butyrate producing bacteria. So these are the bacteria that break down um, prebiotics, so fiber, they produce butyrate, which is a short chain fatty acid, and that feeds the colonocytes, so it helps keep our colon nice and healthy. But that butyrate also crosses over into the blood-brain barrier, where it stimulates something called brain-derived neurotropic factor. It's a bit of a mouthful, but this is a very important um, product or bioactive compound for recovery for the brain from COVID and any sort of, it, it's like miracle growth for the brain. So it really helps the, the brain to function and recover um, optimally. So wow. there's a real link between our gut health, post-viral infection and fatigue, tiredness. You know, we, we see this, these lower levels of, of brain-derived neurotropic factor post-virally and we see higher levels of um, inflammatory markers and improving our gut health and our gut microbiome can have a direct impact on that. My goodness. Look, I knew I was going to learn something tonight and that's incredible. Can I ask a question about 
how long does it take to recover if your gut has you know been affected by covid or you know let's be honest like if you're eating the western diet ultra processed food yes. that has a huge impact on your gut so um how long does it take do you think roughly i know it's as probably individual as a, as a person but you know what, what we're talking in terms of trying to repair our gut health if it's maybe not as it should be so that's a, a great question actually because in an ideal world to test your gluten tolerance and i personally have the belief that gluten's not great for anyone's gut. But if you really want to to notice the benefits of improved gut health following removing gluten, then you want to do it for 60 days. You want to really give your gut two months of no gluten to notice, does my knee pain improve? Do my aches and pain, is my mood better? Is my digestive system better? Things that you don't always associate with the gut, you know, systemic inflammation and aches and pains and migraines elsewhere. It's always good to give your body two months. But for some individuals, particularly if there's long-term issues and damage and inflammation going on in the gut, Dan, you'd want to give your body 12 months, yep. but okay. a minimum of, of 60 days. Okay. I suppose that's that's good in a way. You could do those exclusion diets to really see what the problem is. Because the problem is, you know, if you're eating a Western diet, you've got so many things going in your body that you can't control unless, yes. you know, if, unless you're doing your own cooking and you're making it yourself you know things are going in so it's probably best to kind of go to an exclusion diet uh if you're having problems and then build up from there and that's that's challenging but it might be the best thing that that person can do right absolutely and often you'll find if you if you have a, a severe gluten intolerance and you've had damage to the microvilli and the the there's inflammation within the gastrointestinal tract then someone might also have a lactose intolerance because the lactase producing um cells within the gut are often damaged by gluten so you know you might find that you have to come off gluten and even eliminate dairy for a period of time until the gut really starts to restore and improve and then you can sort of start introducing easier forms of dairy like goat and sheep and these are Mm -hmm. these are easier for the, the body to process due to the different type of case in there well, actually, before we go to talk about the liver, there's actually a question that came in by email that's so relevant to that from Nicola that I want to ask it if that's okay, because it does relate to exactly this. Um, she said here, um, I gave up gluten uh, going low carb about two years ago. And hang on, it's quite a lot here. So let me just cut to the main point. She says basically she's managed to get to the stage now where she reintroduced gluten by eating some low carb bread that she bought. However, her stomach's very upset. Mm. now. Is, is that she had a problem with gluten in the first place? Or do you think giving up the gluten has made her gut upset? You know, chicken or egg? Yeah, that's such a, an interesting question, Dan, because it's something I hear time and time again. Right. People come off gluten. They don't necessarily feel like they have an issue with gluten, but they come off it anyway. And then okay. four or five months later, they'll have a bread roll or they'll have a piece of Hovis or, uh, you know, a slice of King's Mill. And lo and behold, they're getting bloating and they might get some gastrointestinal issues and then their belief is oh I've become a celiac or now I'm intolerant to gluten because I came off it the reality is intolerances can be disguised and our body adapts not always in a good way but it will adapt to the diet that we're continuously giving it and when we remove those inflammatory um, those foods that are causing an issue to the gut and then we allow our gut to function really well. The gut does complain when you then reintroduce those months later, this one thing and, and the body responding appropriately 
it might be a, a bout of inflammation. It might be saying to you, I don't want this in me. Whereas yeah. before, it's almost like a silent scream. It's telling you, but the symptoms aren't there because they're masked with all sorts of other things going on tiredness and fatigue you might be getting migraines it's just manifesting itself in a different way that's really interesting isn't it because i mean some of these low-carb breads that you get do have gluten in them and yes. so if you just you know you might have given up the low the sort of carbohydrate and not given up well not yeah. planned to give the gluten but actually you have just because it's not in your diet anymore and lo and behold when you do have a low-carb bread it might it might affect you it's interesting Absolutely. i think i'm affected by that as well actually i, I can't eat it because i find that when I do, my gut has got problems. And actually, it's really weird, this. Um, I had, like, a really sore, like, not swollen, but just a really stiff right ankle. And mm -hmm. I stopped eating that bread, and I was fine again. So clearly yeah. the inflammation was there. We talked a lot about informa inflammation on the, sh on, the sh on the show, didn't we, and how, how it affects your body and, you know, and how that's, like, a chronic inflammation is really bad. Yes. Um, and I think I probably had those aches and pains all the time without realizing. Yes. Um, and it's something we get very used to living with, Dan. And it's only when you kind of come out of that and you realize that, wow, I actually feel really good. And for me, one of the greatest benefits of following a low-carb, healthy keto lifestyle is it's not just about the low-carb. It's the nature of the food, the, the quality protein, the vegetables, the fermented foods. It, you want to make sure that you're not replacing something that's not so great with something else that's not so great. Just because it's low carb or keto doesn't mean it's healthy. Healthy is really looking at the whole food approach. And that yep. is, you know, what does your plate look like? Is it colorful? Is it full of vibrancy and high quality, delicious food? Or is it, you know, essentially replacing a, a low carb with something that reads like the back of a science lab. You know, we, we want to make sure what we're eating is is quality and whole whole food approach. Yep. Love that. Talking about, you mentioned the silent scream. There's um, yeah. obviously the other topic we talked about was the liver. And um, that was, I think in some ways, I think, okay, breath work, the breathing was, was very interesting to me because Actually, I've, I've bought those two books recommended. I'm going to read them soon, so I haven't started yet. Uh, is it James Nestor and Nestor, I forget the yeah. chap's name? Yeah. So I've got the uh, those two books. So that were, I found really interesting. The sleep one was particularly relevant to me, and certainly I know that you know Graham Phillips has really helped me a lot with my sleep. I've been working on that since we spoke as well. So um, and I can certainly relate to this idea of you know getting used to being a certain way. So. I yeah. was used to for years having a fog and feeling just ill, but you just kind of get used to it. So that becomes life. And when suddenly you sleep properly, you're like, wow, well, it's actually quite a beautiful, amazing experience. Nice. Like I didn't realize. So I can relate to that. But I think the show that really resonated is very interesting. I never sort of thought about this was the liver. And, yeah. you know, the silent scream I mentioned there a little while ago is really quite poignant because, you know, your body is incredible at adapting and dealing with something but it can it can only do that for so long and yes. if it then gets you know burnt out which is what's happening to many of us it then suddenly overnight almost you can have all these problems which reveal themselves which have been under the surface just yes. brewing for 10 years or more which Absolutely. i thought was fascinating so just tell us a bit about that please yeah i mean i the liver is one of my favorite areas of study just because it's so a it's so important for our overall well-being it has mm -hmm. a big impact on you know, our bowel movements because of the bile. It has a big impact on our fat-soluble nutrient absorption because of the bile. It has an impact on our hormone levels because this is where, you know, the cortisol levels, for example, and our estrogen levels are buffered by the by the liver. 
has a huge impact on our body's ability to detoxify and the rate of detoxification and the liver's ability to cope with the demands put on it through these, you know, through the foods we eat, medication, alcohol, pollution, stress, the rate at which the liver can function is very much determined by the optimal function. So the nutrients it's getting, is the liver getting the raw ingredients it needs? You know, the liver, the detoxification process goes through phases. So you have this phase of phase one, phase two, and between those phases, you have this point where toxins are even more toxic. They're very, at that point, you know, the body has to work hard to really neutralize them, if you like. And it's in the liver that we have our master antioxidant made, which is glutathione. And glutathione levels vary between individuals depending on, you know, if you drink a lot of alcohol, it depletes your glutathione. If you don't give your body the raw ingredients to make glutathione, you have low levels of glutathione. So, you know, there's a lot that can impact the function of our liver. And, you know, that doesn't even go into the fatty deposits within the liver, which also has a big impact. So the liver is one of those fantastic organs that we can really do some work on and make a great deal of difference to our detoxification, our energy, our feelings of well-being, our skin. You know, if, if there's issues with your skin, one of the first places I like to look at is gut and liver. So um, as I mentioned, bowel health, you know, if your bowel movements aren't working brilliantly, you want to really be looking at your liver and making sure your bile production is optimal, your magnesium is optimal and your hydration also. So the, the, Liver is a very forgiving organ and it responds really well to having some attention put on it to consciously improve its function. Wow, fantastic. Um, just one thing that comes up actually quite often with our listeners and people in the groups is, you know, you get somebody who, t- who kind of comes to the UK low carb group, uh, fairly new maybe to, to low carb, and they, they quite often will say, uh, if they're suffering from this way, they might say, I'm oh, just being diagnosed with having a fatty liver. My yes. doctor has said I should cut out fat. Um, but I'm here to find out more about low carb because maybe they've heard about it for whatever reason. Just out of interest, what would you sort of recommend? I know you're not a doctor, but what sort of, um, what would you recommend to people who are in that situation who might have fatty liver? What's a good way to try and help your liver to recover? Because that's the thing about the liver. It's an incredible organ, isn't it? It really is very able to not only just manage with a poor lifestyle, but recover quickly, hopefully, when you look after it. Yeah, I mean, if you dedicate yourself um, to really consciously looking after your liver and improving its function, within three years, it can it can regenerate from being 60 to 70% dysfunctional to fully functional again. So it is, you know, it's a journey, but it can, it can make vast improvements to your overall health. Mm-hmm. So in terms of reducing fatty liver, intermittent fasting is brilliant for um, helping to reduce the fat deposits within the liver. Fasting for you know fourteen hours ideally to fourteen hours has been shown to in most individuals really deplete the liver of glycogen and once your glycogen levels really go down this is the stored form of glucose once your body's used up glycogen generally it wants to turn to your stored fat and use stored fat for fuel so mm-hmm. it's nice to have a minimal window of fourteen hours some people like to exercise in that fasted state, which will also in- accelerate the rate at which you're using up your glycogen and then you start burning fat. So optimizing your fat burning status and intermittent fasting. Eggs are wonderful for the liver as well because they're rich in something called choline, which is great for helping the body to 
reduce the fat deposits within liver. And milk thistle is also very good for improving liver function overall. So it's, a, it's about being conscious about what you're eating. You don't want to be eating lots of highly sweetened foods such as um, refined carbs. You know, we want to be very conscious of our blood sugars so that these excessive sugars aren't getting dumped as fat into the liver. You know, some some fruits are okay, but we certainly don't want to be having things like fruit juice, which is basically just pure sugar. And the liver will will for sure not thank us for drinking orange juice or apple juice, these these pure sweetened juices without any fiber to slow down that sugar. And, the you know, the, the liver can't use fructose. It has to convert it into a usable source of fuel for the body, which is glucose. And if we're not demanding lots of glucose, then that excess glucose gets converted to fat. Now, the other thing that drives fatty liver is insulin resistance. So the adipose cells, the fat cells start to leak fat and that fat gets stored in in the poor liver, the fall guy again. So Mm. improving insulin resistance, which comes from, again, really being conscious of our blood sugars, ensuring we have plenty of fiber in our diet, that our magnesium levels are really optimal because magnesium is really important for um, our insulin sensitivity, that our stress levels aren't too high, and we're getting adequate sleep, we're exercising, so we're using up the glucose. So anything that really helps to improve insulin sensitivity is also going to have a beneficial impact on liver function. Wow. I just suddenly thought when you're talking there, the fact that, you know, when you're making foie gras, not that I've ever done that, by the way, but when they are, they're feeding yes. them really Great. like lots and lots of carbs and corn yeah. because they know it goes straight to the liver. So yes. why is it as human beings, we sort of forget that sometimes and think it's absolutely, absolutely fine to kind of eat that food and it's not going to affect us in that way. Um, just for those who have joined us maybe uh, on the live and you missed the beginning, just to let you know, I'm talking to the amazing Pauline Cox. Uh, Pauline's been on the show. Not only uh, she's done actually some pretty big shows with me with Tim Notes and the Unwins. We did a big conversation. That was fun, wasn't it? It was fun. Amazing. It. Can you do another we one? Speak on that session, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, we yeah. Were- do another one. I think definitely come back on because I think you're. I think you're great on that. Um, so anyway, so think about that. But that would be good to have you on those ones. And then we also did a series which is now ending on Tuesday next week. So. If you don't uh, subscribe to the podcast, it's on all, all the podcast apps and it's also on YouTube. And uh, we go through some different topics. We're just talking about those topics tonight. But it'd be good to have questions and comments from people who are watching right now. So the people who are watching, if you've just got a comment to leave, we're going to come to those in a moment. I've seen those people have been writing them, which is great. Um, but any comment, any question you might have, um, we'll talk about the last topic, which came out only uh, yesterday, which is movement first. Then I'm going to come to your questions, everyone, okay? So uh, write them down and just make sure that, you know, if you're on Facebook, we can identify who you are because it'd be great to have your name there. Okay, so the last episode. Now, if you ask me out of the list we had there, so fuel, gut health, the liver, sleep, breath work, and movement, I probably would have said movement's the the least interesting because, yes, (laughs) we have to move. Yes, we have to exercise, you know. If, if you said, you know, if you say health to people, most people think about exercise first and nutrition second, which is wrong. But, you know, but movement is obviously an important part. However, I was blown away by this episode because you talked about, and I was kind of listening to this the other day going, oh my goodness, I've, this is mind-blowing. That is it the amygdala in your yeah. part of your brain? Yes. Yeah, and how basically not only is movement important for the, for the physical health of movement, but psychologically 
yes. seeing things going past you there's actually proven evidence that your your brain health and your mental health yes. are very much associated with that kind of movement so do you want to yes. tell us a bit about that before we go to yeah questions? and this is really i wrote a blog about this actually um a couple of days ago where some of the health habits the daily habits that can make a really big difference to our health and day-to-day experience of life and one of them is getting out moving now it can be a light jog it can be walking it's forward movement we don't get the same experience in a car moving forward but it's that forward motion that allows the brain the perception of the, the forward motion in the brain it affects a part of the brain called the amygdala which is our fear center and it calms that part of your brain so this forward motion keeping your eyes level walking or jogging and doing it without sunglasses you know going outdoors in the morning so you're getting that daylight you know our eyes are the only place we can get direct light into our body so not only is the light communicating with all the cells in the body telling them exactly what time of day it is really communicating to the circadian rhythm of each cell it's also directly communicating with the brain the amygdala calming the amygdala and waking up the body, stimulating you so you're alert but calm through this daily walk, this forward motion. Fantastic. Uh, and that's not the same in the car, is it? It's got to be, yeah. you have to be in nature. And that's what we talked about, which was really quite lovely, is how we are evolved in this world. And actually, it's not surprising that mental yes. health, physical health is about being out in nature, you know, like, you know, going to the gym is great. And if you can do resistance training, great. If you can do cardio, great. They're, they're, nobody would say they're a bad thing. But actually think yes. about how it is you move in the world. And yes. okay, I sound really woo-woo, but I think it's true. I think, you know, your mental health is really importantly linked to that, yes. isn't it? And, that, and there's, there's reasons for that, like you said. Yes, Dan, I, I, I really believe that if we, if we got in touch with what goes on within our body, because we are just an extension of the environment we live in. You know, we are the earth, the world. We have all these microbes that live on us and within us. And I think this connection that we've we've almost become disconnected from our environment. Yeah. So walking in nature, you're getting this, this um, amazing impact on our brain, our mental well-being. You're getting the, the light into the eyes and directly communicating with all the cells. Now, what's also really interesting is... Doing that first thing in the morning, going for another walk, I mean, ideally at lunchtime after after you've had food, which helps again with blood sugars, going for a walk immediately after you've had lunch has been shown to really help dampen that blood sugar spike. But then walking again around 4, 4.30. Now, when your eyes sense, our bodies are incredibly intelligent. We have this innate intelligence that knows whereabouts the sun is in the sky, and it can communicate again to our bodies what time of day it is. So having that that exposure to daylight around four o'clock, 4.30 again, it helps to mitigate the, the negative impacts of blue light from our TVs, our laptops, our phones. And I'm not saying that, you know, it, it's a free-for-all to then go on your screens in the evening, but it does help to mitigate the negative impact of the blue lights in the evening by just getting that half an hour Four four thirty in the evening, as the sun's starting to drop, and it's communicating with ourselves. Okay, we've had morning. This is late afternoon, and it, it's you know it's talking to our internal clock. Amazing, and I think I've I've certainly been taking that on board and going for walks. And you know, even on a cloudy day, you realise your body is very aware of the time of day still, just because we can't tell on you know on the sort of the conscious level what's going on with regards to what time of day it is unless we look at a watch. 
your body is very aware of that, isn't it? Which is so yes. important this time of year. It's so dark outside. Yeah. Um, okay, so before we get into your questions, I can see the sun coming in. Just to let you know, if you've uh, just joined us, I'm talking to Pauline Cox, who has just done the most amazing series of me called The Pillars of Health. We've just gone through the different episodes that we discussed, uh, we actually went through on the show. If you haven't subscribed, please do the Podcast UK Low Carb. It's on all podcast apps and it's on YouTube. Um, and also, can you check out Pauline's group, which is Healthy Keto Diet and Lifestyle on Facebook. You can also follow me on Instagram, Pauline J. Cox. On now, Instagram. Pauline, I need to just ask a question without giving anything away here, but yes. you can give a cheeky plug to a certain book that might be coming out soon, right? You're working on a book right now. Yes, the second book. So the first book, Primal Living in a Modern World, um, was just, we had wonderful feedback from that. So we're currently in talks with a couple of publishers. So we're, we're looking to release the second book, which we're really excited about. And, um, you know, I, I just love helping people to find their best health through giving them the information that can really make a difference. You know, I, I study science at a really deep level. I'm, I'm currently doing my second master's level um, training in integrative medicine. And I love diving really deep into the science. But for me, I, I like to translate that into a way that people understand. And it makes it simple to understand and simple to implement. And that yeah. to me is really the joy of what you know, we all do in this space, which is finding simple, easy habits that make a big difference. And it's those simple daily habits that synergistically actually build up to really big differences if they're done consistently. Yeah, totally agree. Having a one-off is actually not great at all because it's consistency. So I totally agree. Fantastic. So check that out when it comes out, uh, maybe next year. Um, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you'll let us all know when it is available. Uh, I'm just going to go to some questions now and also to some reviews. So um, on Apple Podcasts, people can leave a review for my show. And because these both relate to you, I thought it would only be fair to share them with you. I don't know how to put them on the screen, so I'm going to read them out to you, okay? So um, <laughs> I love this. The review just says Pillars of Health, like it's the new name of the show. I love that. Uh, I'm really enjoying the Pillars of Health series with Pauline Cox. Her knowledge is inspiring without being biased. Um, she leaves the listener with ideas of how to make simple lifestyle changes in their own way, in their own time. And that's from uh, Keswick Karen, and that was left this month. So thank you so much for that. Sorry, last month. We're in December now, aren't we? That was left last month. So that's a lovely review, isn't it? Yes. I didn't get it mentioned. You notice that? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the next one's another five-star review. Uh, UK Low Carb, The Pillars of Health. Best episode so far. Really interesting and truly holistic approach, which I, which I find refreshing. Food for thought. I feel it in my gut like a breath of fresh air. I'll sleep on it. There you go. I love that. Using bits of the show. That. And that's from uh, Janet, who left that on Apple Podcast five stars as well. So really lovely feedback. And I'll let you – I'll copy and paste the text so you can have that if you want to use that anywhere because that's so lovely. Um, it had an impact on people. Yes. Yeah, and that's why we do this, right, you know, to help yeah. people to, to – I think what we need more of, Dan, is hope for people. You know, there's so mm. much – fear and negativity around health and it can leave people and I've, I've worked with so many people recently who are feeling the anxious the anxiety and the and the effects of um you know the the, the not so great news that's continuously bombarding our, uh, our screens and whatnot so I think having confidence in your own health and your body 
but you can create a robust immune system, that you can improve your health at any age. I've worked with people in their 70s who've made amazing changes. So mm. having that confidence and having hope that things can change is a very important part of believing that things can make a difference just by starting the journey. I completely agree. You know what? I think the two words, hope and agency, go together. You know, mm. you can't have hope if you can't believe you can change something. Yes. And if you can't change something, you can never have hope anyway. So you have to, they go so closely together, don't they? And I think that's important. Yes. And, and also, what I also learn from these shows, from tuning to uh, experts like yourself, is that it doesn't matter where you start, there's positive change that everyone can do. So, you know, if you're somebody who's got a lot of weight to lose, if you're somebody who's got type 2 diabetes, if you're somebody who's got, you know, all these different conditions, actually there are steps you can take with very quick results. So that's a really hopeful thing for people to hear, which is great. Absolutely. Um, and they so all just start with step one step at a time. You know, just yeah. one step at a time. And that's all it takes. Drink a bit more water, have it, you know, go for a little walk, um, finish eating at six rather than seven, and then you know, don't eat till the next day. These really small changes have very positive beneficial effects on the body. Yep, excellent. Right, I've got some questions here then and a couple by email as well to go through. I know I asked one earlier on, but I've got one here. So this is from Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Uh, lovely to have you joining us this evening. And if anyone else would like to ask a question, please do. Uh, this is a, a comment more, which is great. Absolutely, yes, I agree. So this is when we're talking about gluten. I think I had a gluten sensitivity until I took it out. Uh, then even the occasional time I've had it after, I can feel it in my joints and the next day and a bloated stomach more immediately. Whoa, bloated stomach, Yes. Not just gluten. I find carbs because it's, you know, there's a lot of liquid, of course, with carbohydrate. There's a, I think, I can't remember. What's the molecule ratio, by the way, between carbs and um, and water? Do you remember? I can't remember. Is it like 10 molecules for every gram or something? It's like, there's like a ridiculous amount of water that you retain from having carbs anyway. But yes. actually, this bloating associated with gluten, I think we can relate to, can't we? Yes. <laughs> yes. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, that's a it's a great comment, Sarah. And I know a lot of people will relate to that. And I think it just it compounds why we want to start eliminating some of these irritable um substances from our diet and focus not just on low carb or on keto, but on really healthy alternatives. And I think Dan, I, if you don't mind, I'm just gonna say a little comment here about keto. I think often people will jump in and just go super high fat and any old fat. And then they they don't feel so great. They might lose some weight, but a few months in, they're not feeling so great and they might be getting some symptoms. And I think it's really important to, to remember that we're not just loading fat onto our plates here. We're looking to improve liver function for starters. The liver might not be set up to to tolerate lots of saturated fat coming into the body. So it might be that you start by just becoming more conscious about which carbs you're having do some intermittent fasting, be conscious of the, the fats you're choosing. So you might have like olive oil or MCT oil or avocado oil, some grass-fed butter. But being aware that we're not just taking a load of fat, a lot of these really wonderful healthy foods already have fat in them, like avocados and olives mm. and fatty meats. So, you know, I think keto, and sometimes rightly so, has had a bad name for itself. Ketosis is a metabolic state. You know, it, it, it's a it's a state we get into when we're burning our own body fat for fuel. And that's one of the huge benefits of intermittent fasting and, and using fat, becoming a fat burner as we are able to access this storage of fat we have on our body. 
But if we're just loading up lots of inflammatory fats and, um, you know, loading up on too much fat, and I see this quite often, um, people jump into this kind of keto lifestyle and they just load up a load of fat into their onto their diet, it's, it's better to just consciously remember that our liver needs to be optimized and working well and that we want to be easing into this lifestyle where you can potentially increase your fats over time, but you want to, first of all, be aware of what's going on in your individual body and what's right for you, your activity levels, how much weight you might have to lose, um, your age, your sex, all these different factors that come in to play when it comes at look, you know, when it comes to looking at how much of what we're eating. Yeah, I totally agree. Ted Naiman came onto the show recently and uh, to do a live, and you know, his focus is very much on protein. And actually, he made a very good point. He said, you know, if you focus on your protein first, yes. he's not saying about, you know, he, he focuses on the protein and he builds it from there. And then he says, you can add fat to your protein very easily and it can get out of control very easily. He says, fat's not a hard thing to add. So, you know, as long as you think about your protein intake, that's the most important factor, he says, then you can add a bit of fat later. But yes. I think in the past, I've probably done exactly what you're saying. and I've hit the fat really hard. Mm. I've had an upset stomach. And I'm like, why? And I'm like, well, actually, because... Maybe my body didn't need it. Maybe I've got enough to burn myself. Maybe I could just focus on my protein and some healthy yes. you know, vegetables and a little bit of fat and, and it'll be fine without yes. thinking oh, I'm just going to eat fat all the time now. Because yes. I, don't think that is, I don't think that is right, actually. I think you're right how you know you need to think about the micronutrients but also the fiber a little bit. And I think you're right about and also the protein, of course, which is a really important balance. And if you have someone who's you know, a distance runner, an ultra marathon runner, they're gym goers, they're in their 20s, 30s, 40s, they're, they're super active, then their their nutritional needs will be very different to someone who is sat at a desk all day or who is office-based or maybe not so active, who may have had a history of drinking more alcohol or drinking a higher carb diet. We, we must be cautious about applying the same principles the principles are we dual fuel burners, but we must be cautious about applying the same macronutrients and approach to every single person when we all have different needs. Yeah, yeah, so so true. And in a way, sorry, I welcome to Phil's questions, but this is really making my brain spark here because in a way, the problem with the nutritional advice from governments around the world since the 70s is this one thing fits everybody, cut your calories only, that's, what, that's what's important. But actually, I truly believe, as we, especially about the gut, by the way, the more we understand about the gut health and we realize how individual we all are gut health-wise, you suddenly realize that makes sense. Well, actually, one thing that would work for me wouldn't work for you necessarily, or parts of the same plan would work for both of us, but not other parts. It's really interesting. And I think, actually, if anything, people can learn from, from you know, this series, but also learn from, you know, from their own bodies, is what is right for them and actually learning who they are, how they work, and what their body needs, that is essential. So I, think I, I completely agree. And I think if anyone really wants to focus on their weight status, starting with the gut, you just can't go wrong. Yeah. You know, the gut is such a key. There's a lot of research that shows how gut microbiome, the, the impact gut microbiome has on overall health, but also weight status. And some very interesting research where um, they've taken – a mouse with zero microbiome and injected the microbiome of a, a, an obese mouse and that mouse instantly starts gaining weight without changing the diet and we know yeah. there's a high influence of 
the bacteria, the microbiome on weight status. So when we start focusing on gut health and liver function, weight or body composition changes as a byproduct of our body functioning at a better level. Yeah, so true. Love that. Right. On to some questions because I appreciate the time and I'm just getting completely carried away. I knew I would. Right. So Jay uh, has firstly left a lovely comment. Love this series and learned so much. Thank you both. Well, thank you to Pauline. Sorry, that way, Pauline. Uh, it's thank you to Pauline, not me. I just literally asked the questions that I think would be interesting, and I'm glad that you got so much from that, Jay. But Jay also goes on to have another question, which is this. Um, can you list the books mentioned in the series? Now, yes. the, the, I think that's probably the, the breathwork ones, aren't they? Yes, so we um, have um, The New Science of a Lost Art by James Nestor. Fantastic book. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the oxygen advantage if you want to learn a little bit more about breathing, and that's by Patrick McEwen. Um, by dirt. the way, Patrick McEwen's where I first heard about this. He's also on Steve Bennett's podcast, Fat and Furious. So I recommend checking that out if you're interested. I actually heard that episode, I think July, August 2020, and I was like, What's Steve doing asking this guy about breath work and breathing onto a low carb podcast? But oh my goodness, he was amazing. In fact, I'm going to get him on this show because he is so good. It is such a fascinating subject. And I've I've been keen to talk to James Nestor for a while and he's going to be doing an Instagram live with me next year. So it's, Fantastic. I'm delighted. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, he really, he, he's been studying this for over 10 years now and his knowledge in the breathwork area is just fascinating. So um, there's the... Patrick McEwen book, James Nestor, um, Gut Health. There's a number of books on gut health. I really like Dr. Josh Axe's book on Eat Dirt. I think that's a great book. Um, you can find more information on Fat for Fuel um, by Nora Gedgordgas. It's a bit of a mouthful, but she does a great um, – she just she has a couple of books. Primal Fat Burner is fantastic. I really like that book. Um, learning more about wheat and gluten, Wheat Belly by William Davis is a great book. I'm, I'm going to so read that. Many. I've heard that's really good. Yeah, it's a fantastic book. Um, yeah. If you want to learn a bit more about the functional medicine side of things, so a deeper knowledge in the the micronutrients and the impact on subcellular health, like mitochondrial function, then Dr. Terry Wall has a fantastic book called The Walls Protocol. It's a bit more science-based, but it's a very interesting read. Um, if you want something that's a bit more public friendly, then there's one called <laughs> Primal Living in a Modern World. <laughs> um, Who wrote that? <laughs> you'll find that on our website. And that gives the principles of improving gut health, liver function, adrenal function, fat burning. You know, it, it's a it's a good overview and it's a good starting place for, you know, where where to start your journey and how to start it. So, yeah, great. That's why I wrote that one. And that is a, you talk a lot about Tim Noakes and that, don't you, and his trial, yeah. which is really interesting as well. Um, so it's not just the health, it's also, you know, the paradigm we're sort of challenging yeah. and how that fights back, which is also fascinating, I think. Um, right, the, another one, I'm afraid I don't know your name because it says Facebook user, so I'm really sorry I can't share who you are. It's an annoying feature of, of the way Facebook won't tell us your name unless you allow this program StreamYard to let us know your name. So if you do do that now, it might change, I don't know. But anyway, the question is, though, can you be carnivore and still have a healthy gut? Great question. Because It is a great question. You know what? I, I think a lot of people focus on the fuel and the protein, yeah. but actually thinking about what it's doing to other parts of your body. And, of course, the gut is a, a, a central part of that. So what do you think? I think you can, yes. I mean, if you look at epidemiological studies where you have you know, these tribes who live off 
um, whale blubber and seal meats. And historically, we've been able to survive in any environment we're given and mm -hmm. access. That's, that's what makes us incredible as a species. We can adapt to our environment. So we are able to adapt to a carnivore diet. We're able to adapt to a plant-based diet. There is no one diet fits all. I think the problem comes when you have some healing and restoring to do. And that's maybe where it's a bit more individualized. I tend to find women need a bit more fiber if they've had a traditional standard American diet and their, you know, their gut microbes aren't great and their liver function's not great. But I'm a big believer in the carnivore diet. I personally don't follow it because I love vegetables. I love sauerkraut. I love peppers. And, uh, you know, a big part of my plate is colorful. And I love the flavonoids and the polyphenols that you get from vegetables. Um, but I know a, a number of individuals who do incredibly well off carnivore, particularly if it's done well, and you're getting your eggs and your really high quality meats, organ meats, which are packed. I was say that, not just muscle meat, right? Oh, you know, God. If, you, if you're just eating bacon all day long and yeah. steak, I mean, it's also great, but what about yeah. liver? I mean, liver yeah. as a food is a great thing for you. And that's where carnival really comes into its own. You know, liver's like Mother Nature's multivitamin. In fact, I supplement organ um, capsules because of the levels yeah. of coenzyme Q10 in heart meat and vitamin A in liver. So if you're really embracing the carnival and you're having these wonderful organ meats and you're having raw milk and um, eggs, you know, the, the high quality proteins and fats, you, you'll be getting a really high quality range of micro and macronutrients through yeah. eating um, a carnival diet. And I know it, it's a very individualized approach, but my belief is that yes, you can absolutely have a great, a super healthy physique diet and health through eating a carnival. Yeah. I think the key there is, is like with any diet, keep it not ultra processed. So, you know, that is, a, and I, I, ha I have to say, I think with carnival, there is much more awareness of the type of meats. You know, yeah. it's carnival diet that they tend to be those individuals who really embrace um, the 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 wild meats, the the raw milks. You know, there, there's an awareness in the carnival community of the importance of getting the right yeah. meats, not just chowing down on processed hot dogs and and whatnot. Yeah, definitely. Uh, by the way, that was Joyce. Thank you, Joyce, for your question. And I'm so pleased we know who asked it. So thank you. That was really lovely. Um, I've got one here by email that came in. I appreciate the time. I knew this would happen. I knew I'd get carried away. Uh, this question came in by email from Emma. She says, um, I, my baby is now three months old. Uh, congratulations to you uh, for having a baby. Uh, she said, but sleep was a really interesting episode for her. I'm paraphrasing this, by the way. Sorry, Emma, if I'm butchering it. Um, because basically she's saying she's not sleeping very well because she's got a, a young baby. Um, what can she do? I mean, it's very easy, isn't it, when you say to people, um, you know, you should be getting X number of hours sleep a night, but yes. you and I both have kids. We know that that doesn't work like that all the time, yeah. especially a three-month-old baby. That's incredible. Yes. So what sort of tips and advice do you give to somebody who yes. is unable to get a full eight hours sleep? Yeah. What can they do? I mean, that's a, a, a great question because it's a – it's a global problem and one that many, many women experience. Now, what I would say, first of all, is if, if um, was there a name there, Diane? Yeah, Emma. Yeah. If Emma's breastfeeding, I would make sure that your fat content in your milk is really high. This will help with satiety and help with your baby's sleep. So 
one way to ramp up your baby's your milk's fat levels is to increase your omega-3 fatty acids so just make sure you're getting plenty of your healthy essential fatty acids your um oily fish salmon supplement i mean you're probably supplementing already but if you're not i would absolutely supplement with a wild alaskan high quality fish oil and that i remember i was expressing when i was breastfeeding my children and i i expressed once and i saw the fat on the top and then I upped my omega-3 fish oils. And then I expressed again a few di- days later. And I literally saw the change in the fat layer on top wow. of the milk. Um, it was just amazing to me, the impact of what I was eating, how that was impacting my milk. So yeah. even things, Emma, like caffeine, caffeine has a really long half-life. So it stays in your body for quite a long time and it will enter your milk. So you want to be just really cautious of not having too many stimulants, which could be stimulating Mm -hmm. your baby. You want to be cautious of um, getting plenty of good fats and lots of nutrients into you, which will inadvertently impact the baby, particularly the fats, as I've mentioned. Then you want to just it's worth going to a really good osteopath or chiropractor who might do some cranial work on the baby to, you know, just check that the, the, the cranium's happy and that the baby's feeding well, that the baby's suckle reflex is working really well. Um, and I know that that can be really helpful for a lot of young babies and mothers, obviously, as well. And then for yourself, the fish oils are going to help with your sleep, your mood, your energy levels, um, magnesium, as I mentioned, in the sleep series we did is really important for your own sleep and also it helps to regulate cortisol which is really important when we're you know we're we're heightened we have a new baby lots going on what's going on in the world globally so magnesium is very important for regulating cortisol for activating GABA which is a calming neurotransmitter as well as for energy um, as well as for skin health as well as for many many other functions within the body but particularly sleep and it has to be the right type of magnesium. Sorry, Dan. It has to be a magnesium that's bioavailable, but can also cross the blood-brain barrier. Those are the two criteria you want to make sure when you're accessing magnesium for a, a specific use. And in this case, it's for calming the brain, stimulating GABA, and allowing good sleep. So biglycinate's really good at crossing the blood-brain, bar- blood-brain barrier, and malate and threonate is also really great for crossing the blood-brain barrier. Citrate won't cross the blood-brain barrier, but it's great for gut health. So, great. So, I guess Emma, as well, you know, you might not be able to get the quantity you need right now because obviously a baby is a baby, but the quality is the best it can be. That's that's going to make a huge difference to you. I think I've been in that situation where you're you're supposedly asleep, but you're not getting the best sleep, and of Mm. course you wake up more tired. But if you get four hours of good sleep, that's better than sometimes six hours of really bad sleep and if a baby's hungry it will wake up so allowing the baby to feel really satiated with quality fat in your milk is going to help that baby to sleep for longer yeah that's a good point definitely yeah okay then um we've got some comments and questions before we wrap up today uh sam has said this uh it's amazing how quickly those small changes make a big difference i'm not sure exactly which point that was because earlier on today but you know i think it is do with like maybe cutting out gluten from our food uh, yeah. changes in our diets of course changing our, well actually all the pillars of health you know a little a little change can make a huge difference and i yes. think not just a little change one day but the consistency of that little change can actually be quite a massive thing so yeah. uh good point sam and thanks for sharing that um anything to say on that before i go to the next question 
No, I, I would completely agree with Sam. I think it's, and give things a chance, you know, don't try something for a couple of weeks and think, oh, it didn't work for me. As we've already spoken about, Dan, the gut can take a little while to respond. The liver can take a little while to respond. It, you, you can feel actually a bit worse before you feel better quite often when we're going through these changes. So be really patient with yourself. And see this as a curious journey, one where you're interested about learning about your body's responses, be a bit detached from reactions. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, I wonder why that happened without getting frustrated or upset about different reactions. Really be kind and patient with your body because it's doing the best job it can under the environment and the circumstances it's been given. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Our choices. And also I think as well, don't give it a false goal. So if your if your goal is to lose weight, that's a very strange in a way thing to try and focus on. I think you should focus on health and actually mm. make it a change to your body's overall health. Your weight will fluctuate actually. And so it might put might change to more muscle muscle mass than yeah. fat. So your weight could actually not go down but it's actually getting healthier. And, and I think that's one thing I've definitely learned is if you focus on your health as the main priority, the, 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 the sort of main goal you thought you had might become a secondary goal later on, but Absolutely. actually the health getting right is actually more important. Yes, and, and a goal such as, I just want to feel more energised, or I want to feel good yeah. about myself. I want to feel like I'm I'm making great choices for my body. Run around the kids outside. It could be something yeah. like that as well, couldn't it? Absolutely. Social pressure. Yeah. And as those changes result in just better energy and better motivation, you by default start to make even better choices on behalf of your body. So it becomes this sort of upward vortex of positive choices. Oh, I like that. I'll use that. <laughs> Very nice. Okay, the last question for this evening is from Sarah. We did actually have a few more by email, but uh, I'm so sorry I couldn't get to all of them. There's been some lovely questions that have come in. Uh, but I'm going to ask from somebody who's actually messaged this evening because I know they'll be watching now. This is what Sarah said. I think increasing bowel production is really important. Uh, Pauline, what are some of the best ways to do this? Oh, yeah, bile is, <laughs> bile is really important. Um, I mean, liver function, giving your liver what it needs. If your liver is fatty and congested, it can't do its job properly. So yeah. you, it's really about optimizing liver function. So the liver loves bitters, bitter greens. It loves um, turmeric. You can give your, your, when you eat the raw ingredients for your liver to make um, glutathione, for example, the master antioxidant, which can help with liver function, it can be very beneficial. So having selenium rich foods like mushrooms, um, having adequate amino acids, adequate B vitamins, even glutathione rich foods like pecans and avocados. So again, it kind of hops back to a whole food diet approach and then making sure that you're giving your liver a rest that fasting period. I also really like milk thistle for bile and I take an, an activated fermented milk thistle. Now, if any of you have issues with bowel movements, there's a, a, a product I take called um, Living Nutrition. It's fermented milk thistle. And it is a really effective way of getting your bowels moving well in a, in a positive way. And I mean, you know, well-formed. I don't mean, you know, we don't want any liquid not, going on not there. Not too rapid. Yeah, not okay. too rapid, no. But milk thistle is a surefire way of really helping with health, the liver health and stimulating bile production. So... I would say the main things are what we covered earlier in terms of liver health, intermittent fasting, low sugar, 
um, diet, really look at your alcohol consumption. I mean, I know it's Christmas, everyone's going to want to drink, but look at minimizing the impact of alcohol. Look at having red wine as opposed to hard spirits. Look at having red wine with food. So you already have food in your stomach before drinking, and that will slow the release of the alcohol. Look at having some milk thistle and omega-3 fatty acids before and after you've had a drink the next day. So that again, it minimizes the impact of, it mitigates to some extent against the negative impacts of alcohol. And then look at increasing your glutathione builders and your glutathione rich foods because glutathione levels decline when we drink alcohol because the body, the liver says, right, hold everything. There's alcohol here. We want to get rid of it. So it it kind of puts everything else on halt so it can use up its kind of fire hose and, and make sure the liver's safe from alcohol. So by eating your mushrooms and pecans and um, avocados and um, you know all these wonderful foods that will serve as the building blocks amino acids are very important as well and then having your extra supplements like your milk thistle and your omega-3 fatty acids they're going to support liver function and those Christmas period festivities as well. (laughs) There you go so hopefully we'll be a healthier uh going into january than we were potentially uh maybe before january so there you go so watch watch the booze everyone um just want to say though we've actually gone through um a lot of questions there's some more coming in i'm really sorry i have to end there because um you know that's the end of our time together tonight but i just want to say though a huge huge thank you to you pauline um you are a real kind of you have a wealth of knowledge which is incredible and you know, you're very, very good at not only understanding and knowing things, but explaining that to us in a very, uh, well, I'll speak for myself here, in a very understandable layperson way, because I'm not an expert in this at all, but I feel like I learned so much of you. So thank you so, so much for that and for the great show we had. Um, and yeah, just, I'm so, I'm so honored to now know you as a friend. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. I've thoroughly enjoyed this series and thank you everyone for your interaction, your questions. This is why we do what we do as as Dan does such a fantastic job hosting these episodes so that people can get access to information that can be very important for their health. And it's why myself, as an avid lover of science and nutrition, I do what I do because, you know, there's nothing greater than seeing people turn their health around and live their best life. To me, that's just the ultimate reward for what I do. And I, I truly love it. So fantastic so everyone go out check uh, pauline j cox that's her handle on instagram um go and look at so and arrow which is her business she runs and she does a lot of mentoring support recipes lovely baking of foods and all sorts so check that out and i think 2022 you're going to see pauline a lot more places on <laughs> youtube on podcasts and everything else and hopefully back here as well don't forget oh yeah, yeah excellent all right, well, take care, everyone. Have a great evening. And, uh, yeah, well, I uh, hope you'll watch, listen to the show when it comes out next Tuesday. So um, take care, everyone, and bye for now. Bye, guys. Bye.